In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Have you ever noticed how often Jesus brought his disciples with him to pray, only for them to fall asleep? Unfortunately, that seems to be the one trait of the apostles I've never had any problem emulating. I want to pray. I want to engage with God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and the Spirit. But then I get all sleepy, and I ask myself why. I wasn't particularly sleepy when I started, but I go from contemplation to sawing logs and nothing flat. Well, like all crotchy old men, I have a theory. My theory is this. In our day-to-day lives, we are so beset by cares and worries, our fears and doubts, woven into the fabric of our existence, that the only time we experience true peace is in our sleep. Thus, when we pray and start to experience the peace of God, we trigger some Pavlovian response. Our lizard brain kicks in saying, oh, we're at peace, must be Betty time. Anyway, that's my theory and I'm sticking to it. Another common experience is featured in today's gospel lesson, that of a person who's uncomfortable with silence. Simon Peter, we are told, spoke without really thinking, more out of the feeling that he should say something. But there is a deeper way in which the account of the transfiguration of Christ is very familiar to every Christian. In the transfiguration, the reality of who Jesus is breaks in on the ordinary world of our perception. Christ's glory is revealed to the apostles James, his brother John, and their former business partner, Simon Peter. Jesus is eternally God's beloved son. His eternal glory made externally perceptible, manifested there on that mountaintop, both Moses and Elijah the law and the prophets, together with the word made flesh, who embodied loving God with all his heart, mind, and soul, as well as his neighbors, us, as himself. Jesus truly is the one on whom hangs all the law and the prophets. Each of us, in ways big and small, have been granted a glimpse of his glory. In one way or another, we have come to see him as he really is. The Jesus of the page, has at one point or another ceased to be contained by mere words on a page and become the word made flesh. At some point, we become aware of the reality of the real presence of Christ in the bread and wine which we eat and drink as a memorial. The objective reality is no longer something we give our intellectual assent to, something we hold in our heads, but something we experience, something which permeates and fills us so that the truth fills our hearts. The truth of his presence, which owes nothing to our own thoughts and sentiments, is true whether we perceive it or not, just as the truth of his glory was true whether Peter, James, and John perceived it. That perception is a gift which God granted to them, just as he grants us our own perception of his glory. The veil between the fallen world and the infinite, between our own limited selves, and the limitlessness of God is lifted, transcended by the light of his glory. And like Peter, we struggle with what to do with that newfound realization. What does it mean? What purpose does it serve? What am I now to do? What do I say? The transfiguring is told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and each account is followed by Jesus and his companions coming down the mountain and being swamped by crowds. 
There, a man with a demon-possessed son cries for help. He's already asked Jesus' disciples for help, but they had failed. And so he turned to Jesus, who exercises the demon. He frees his son. And that is where we find ourselves as Christians. The world and its groaning to be saved below, but like an animal caught in a trap, unable to comprehend its predicament, and ready to lash out at its rescuer. And the mountaintop above, which we have received mere glimpses of, glimpses that we cannot truly comprehend other than to whet our appetite for more. Like Peter, most of our instincts are to grasp onto it, to hold it tight and not let go. Like Peter, we seek to build a tabernacle to hold on to that moment, not wanting to leave it, to think that because in that special revelation is where we encounter God, we must recreate that exact situation to conflate the situation with the experience. There are those who seek a life of contemplation for exactly that reason, who seek out the desert or monastery as a way to that mountaintop where they may build a tabernacle to sit with God. But those who set themselves on such a task soon find that the world in which they have fled is always with them. The temptations of the world beckon to us, not because they are so very powerful. Rather, the temptations of the world receive their power from our own desires. Would-be monks seeking retreat from the world's temptations soon find themselves locked in with the temptations they sought to escape. The desert and monastery are not the easy path to God's presence, but instead the battleground where sin and fear is confronted. One does not enter contemplation so much as to encounter God, but to overcome our captivity to the world, where the disquietude of the world is silenced, a silence that reigns only where the disquietude of our hearts is finally put to rest in the peace of God. In the hard work of contemplation, we can experience his presence, but only by silencing the cacophony that resounds in our own hearts. And in our silence, discover that God himself is never silent. But to bask in glory unending is not for this world, but for the next. Jesus steps down from the mountain and back into the crowds. Jesus exercised the demon possessed that the disciples had failed to free. The world is enslaved, call it what you will, enslaved by death, sin, the devil. It all amounts to the same thing, that which is not God. And no matter how much we would like to think otherwise, no law, program, nonprofit, mission, or ministry is going to change that fact. Every human endeavor will not only fail, but will quickly be consumed by the world and twisted and possessed by it. Only Jesus can do the work that needs to be done. Through us to be sure, but only in the same way he has freed each of us. No one here who has been saved by Christ, who has experienced his glory, did so by a program or system. Each one of us was saved by a person, Jesus Christ, likely working through another person. We as Christians live in the in-between, navigating a life halfway up the mountain, between heaven above and the world below. In our worship, we orient ourselves upward, in our ministry, back to the world, uniting each in our prayer, 
where we both overcome our sins and engage in our relationship with God. We have been granted time to live in the in-between so we can transform our fleshly existence with spiritual life so that instead of being sucked into the mire of the world, we instead lift it and those still stuck up and out of the filth, bringing them with us into the light of God's glory. And maybe, just maybe, we can even bring a little bit of heaven back down with us. We can do that because in our encounter with Christ's glory, as it is revealed, the transfiguration that we encounter is not in God, who is constant and ever glorious, but a transfiguration in our own perception and in ourselves. So it is here in the in-between where we navigate, being in the world but not of it. Those in the world, like Peter, have to say something, to do something, to be something, anything, rather than just being oneself at peace, in silence. In but a few moments, we will again encounter his glory in the Eucharist, and we will experience our transfiguration, regardless of how much our own perceptions match the reality. But then we shall leave the altar and soon enough descend the heights and re-enter the world. We will be consumed by its, will we be consumed by its disquietude? Or will we manifest a peace of God which passes all understanding? A peace which is all but impossible if we don't learn to be comfortable with its silence. All but impossible if we think that I have to say or do something now. All but impossible until we become comfortable in the in-between, where we can quiet ourselves and listen, just listen. There came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.